But usually it's two different answers. What should happen? You should not see spirits. What is happening? I am seeing spirits and they are telling me things to help the people around me or they are giving me a song to help me and the world. You know, I think my life, my life journey will probably be doing away with what should be mm-hmm. and simply embracing what is. Yes. Especially if what is, is positive. You're listening to Garifuna Sisters Talk Spirituality. Good morning. My name is Kylie Simone and I'm here with my wonderful, beautiful, amazingly talented oh my sister. <laughs> Stefan Ferroza Cayetano. We are the Garifuna Sisters. Yes, we are. <laughs> People are actually calling us the Garifuna Sisters. I mean, oh, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, you sisters. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are other Garifuna Sisters in the world, but maybe we should, uh, what do you call it? Trademark? Yeah. Name? For sure. That's a great idea. We should definitely do that. Anyway, if you're a first-time listener, welcome to the Garifuna Sisters Talk Spirituality Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Garifuna Sisters Podcast. For updates on everything that we're doing, you should definitely respond to our, we're doing a call to action for a special episode that we're curating. We want you guys to respond to us. We're passing the mic to you to say, what does it mean to you to be Garifuna? So DM us, send us an audio message. Tell us what send it means to you to be. Yes. Email us at sisters at gmail.com. And tell us what it means to you to be Garifuna. Moving right along, this episode is the first episode in the Modern Day Garifuna series. Ooh, tell the people, what is that? The Modern Day Garifuna series is running throughout November in honor of Garifuna Assessment Day, which is November 19th, and apparently in some places November 20th. Yeah, in Guatemala and Nicaragua. Right, okay. It's celebrated in Belize, Guatemala, and Nicaragua, and this series will focus on Garifuna women who are transcending tradition by mixing our traditional healing practices with other modalities. We are evolving as a culture, and their individual journeys are an embodiment of that. And I agree with that because we were just talking about this, was it yesterday? How spirituality, our mom overheard what we were what we were talking about and we're like why don't you guys like tradition what what's so wrong with tradition and just changing up the thing and she wasn't saying it in a bad way I, I think she was genuinely the question came from a genuine place of curiosity and I had to say mom it, to me in my opinion just like how culture evolves and how culture changes with everyone that comes through in a new generation generational things are different technology changes of course culture will change and if culture changes of course spirituality will evolve and have some differences i'm sure that spirituality today would not look like what it looked like a hundred years ago or 200 years at least at least in terms of rituals it's just exactly because i think 
I don't know if spirituality in itself, spirituality, if we define it as the relationship between humans and spirits, of course. or God, or the spirits, the ancestors, I think maybe that is always what it is, which is an individual and collective relationship with the divine. But the yes. ritual surrounding that relationship, I think, changes depending on the context, depending on, you know, like what you do during wartime, yeah. during wartime will be different from what you do during peacetime. So I don't know if they had to shorten or change up the rituals when the Caribs, when the Garifuna mm -hmm. people were fighting the British and the French back in the late 1700s during the Carib Wars. I can imagine, logically speaking, what we did spiritually in terms of rituals was different than what we're doing now in 2021 in the midst of a pandemic. Like, Dugo isn't even happening. It didn't happen this summer. And so that's why we're doing this modern-day Garifuna series, because... We've interviewed many elders about what they've experienced and what they understand about our rituals and, and, and the things that they've been through. But we younger ones, i.e. under 35, especially the ones who have grown up outside in the diaspora, meaning America, other Caribbean islands, Europe, Asia, wherever, because we're not exposed, generally speaking, to those rituals, and because we're exposed to other cultures and other modes of spirituality, the way we express spirituality is different. It's necessarily different. And so what does that look like? And what does that mean for our people? Because if more and more of us are growing up outside of Garifuna community, not speaking Garifuna, because let's face it, not everyone knows Garifuna and that doesn't preclude you from the spirituality, yeah. What is our spirituality looking like? So that's what this series is all about. And um, we've done a couple of recordings of this. And uh, oh, I'm so excited for y'all to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing I... some different things. We're having some out of this world experiences, some of us. Yeah. One of them yes. had me clutching my pearls like, holy cow, <laughs> what, are, what are people going to think about this? You don't have pearls, Steph. Exactly. <laughs> and you this woman had chest. me clutching my imaginary pearls. Like, yeah. ah. Oh man. But yes, this the, this series has me very excited to share all of these conversations with you guys, and I'm so excited for this conversation that we're having today. Oh boy. Today, today, because we are kicking off the modern day Garfina series with my lovely beautiful, amazingly talented sister and co-host and my other half, Stefan Perosa, <laughs> Kaya Tana. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And the only reason why we're kicking off this series with me is because we've learned that we have to lead by example oh. and we can't expect other people to share their life stories with spirituality if we ourselves are not willing to share our own stories and uh oh you got stories. anyway yeah <laughs> as i was thinking about this interview before we jumped on the call i was like you know i don't have anything to say i don't have that's a lie to Mentira. Share. exactly so no 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 so that's what i was thinking <laughs> and then and then i listened to my album and then i was like oh yeah i do have things to say <laughs> Oh, no.
because you've been oh, yeah. part of the process since day oh, one. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I feel like I felt for a while now that we owe it to the people to hear at least one of our stories because I'm still kind of, I'm still going through it. I'm still in my journey in like the early. I so feel like am I. I am still for a in while, my. But I also feel like. <laughs> No, no, but you've been in it for some time now. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. You've been in it for some time. I feel like, I still feel like a baby spiritualist. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm like a toddler. I'm like, I kind of know what's going on, but like, I'm still like, wow, like, what is happening? Anyway, can you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? As if they don't already know. Go ahead. As if they don't already know. Well, I can't can't assume that everyone that's listening to this episode has listened to previous episodes. My name is Steph-Ann Ferosa Cayetano. My mother named me Steph-Ann. That's the name in my passport. And (laughs) I've thought about changing it to Ferosa. That's the name that I go by. But also, I have two passports and multiple ids and it would be very expensive to change not only my name but all of my identifications for all of the countries so um yes my name is stefan ferosa cayetano i am a singer soul writer right songwriter but i call it soul writing because i write songs from my soul and from from the spirit that walks with me there's a woman who walks with me i'm aware of her now and I'm also the co-host of the Garfina Sisters Talk Spirituality Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where you find me regularly every every Sunday, every other Sunday. Oh, and where am I from? I am from Belize. That is my anchor. That is where, uh, if I am a boat, then my anchor is in Barranco Village, Belize. Even though my boat has traveled far, currently I'm based in Spain. I'm in the south of Spain. The anchor tugs me back to Barranco Village. That is where, that is the one place where no one can kick me out. Because mm, <laughs> mm-hmm. they can I deport like me here in Spain, though. but <laughs> That's true. yeah, that analogy I got it from Uncle Roy. We had Baba Roy in our second episode. No, in our third episode. He he was one of those people who understood the tragedy of my identity crisis when I was a teenager. And he was like, no, you know, you're from all of these places. Your boat docks in different countries, but your anchor, where is your anchor? My anchor is in Barranco. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Spirit's definitely like? here. Oh, no, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling a bit. Hi. I'm feeling a bit. I don't know. Yeah, bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. For those who can't see, Kylie's doing this kind of like woo-woo motion, and I'm yeah, it's it's um, <laughs> spirits are her. Spirits are her. So go ahead. What's the question? What was it like growing up in these different countries for you? Growing up in these different countries and growing up Garifuna. Yeah. Understanding of language, spirituality, ancestral land, yeah. all of that. That's a very confusing question, but I know what you <laughs> I know what you're trying to ask cuz we've been doing this. So, um I am very grateful that I spent the first 10 years of my life in Belize because that's part of why I can call Belize my anchor, my earliest memories, the place where I got to know myself and my culture was in Belize with family, hearing 
grandma, like grandma was and is a huge part of my life. She taught me how to read, hearing her and grandpa speak Garifuna to to each other. Mom used to, when she used to put me to sleep, she would sing a lullaby in Garifuna. I don't remember if you, I don't remember if we did this with you, Kylie, but there's a, there's a Garifuna lullaby. Do, do, do. Na, 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 na. I can't remember the words now. But it's do, do, do. And that was every night. <laughs> every night. Um, and then we used to go to Garifuna Mass in Belize City. And we would sing the songs. And then our family being our family in Belize, right? The Cayetanos. Uh, they were organizing Garifuna conferences in Belize. And, and there were different things going on. So I'm glad that I was raised at least the first 10 years in Belize where I could just be part of that. That was just the norm. And then when we moved to Jamaica, we moved to Jamaica when I was 10. And as I found moving to different countries especially when those countries don't know your country, you really have to explain your country and your culture to other people. And so going into the Jamaica school system where they have a heritage week and they celebrate their different ethnicities and, you know, Jamaica has different ethnicities. uh, One, what is it? Many people, one culture. Out of many, one people, because there are many different... Yeah, 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 because there are many ethnicities. So, so you know, people would come to school in, like, their little, what is it? Their plaid. Like, they have, the Africans mm. in Jamaica have their traditional thing, which isn't our yes. thing. Yeah. Their traditional dress. Thank you. Ooh. And mom, our mother tells this story in our episode with her back in May. You guys can go and listen to that. But, yeah, in Jamaica, they didn't know about Garifuna and they didn't know about this special group of black people who were never enslaved. So I grew up in Jamaica in at the last part of elementary school and all of high school, having to teach my classmates and my teachers, no, this story, this history that you're teaching us is wrong. Like the Caribs were not cannibals. The Caribs and the Arabacs are not all completely dead because I am here. What is Garifuna? Garifuna is this. And I think moving to Jamaica is what really made me aware of my Garifuna nest because our mom, <laughs> I love her. You knew she would not. You knew that you were she different. would not have it. She would not have it any other way. I mean, but our house was a Garifuna house. We had the paintings. Yeah. We had the drums. The every drums. Sunday morning, mom would be, you know, every Sunday morning, dad would be blasting like paranda and like we had a yeah. Garifuna and reggae. Yeah, we had a Garifuna and reggae music household. Yeah. And then we had relatives visiting. And so our house was a Garifuna always, house. Also, my early, earliest, Go ahead. Yeah, my earliest memories are of Belizean students also passing through the house at all times. Yes. Our house was very busy yes. growing up with Belizean, Belizean students. Our house was the home base of the Belizean students, yes. Right. So mom was always cooking Belizean food. Yep, 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 yep. And our relationship with the U.S. students had us being part of the U.E. events on campus, which somehow turned into, oh... Miss Cayetano, you are Garifuna. Can you do a libation? You know, at the start of this <laughs> ceremony or that ceremony. Da, 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 da. So, um, I only have vague memories of this. Yeah, yo, we were part of hmm, 
Which is why I would have never gone to UWE because I grew up on UWE campus for a variety of reasons that's beyond the scope of this. <laughs> that makes sense now that you put it like yeah. that. Because I'm at UWE yeah. and I'm looking at these people like, hello, this is who I am. And everybody in my department is like, oh, you're the Garfuna girl. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yeah. Because every yeah. presentation that I have to do that do, does that deals with culture, I'm mentioning my people or I'm... It's not in the textbook and it's not what they're teaching us, but I can apply what they're teaching me into what I already know about mm-hmm. my culture. And it's what makes you okay. different. But I was going to say, so growing up in Belize, where it's a country where they know we have a strong presence in Belize. And our family, our extended family are part of the Garifuna leadership since ever since, for as long as I can remember anyway. And I'm 29 years old. And so it was always a norm. So I think if we had stayed in Belize, I never would have, I don't know. I don't know. I I can't say what would have happened, but I don't think I would have questioned it as much as, not questioned it. I don't think I would have paid attention to it as much as I had to living in Jamaica, where we were just so different. Yes, we were black and we could blend in with the other Jamaicans, Mm -hmm. but we were a different kind of black, especially learning Caribbean history and learning slavery right and in jamaica at my school we learned about slavery in detail yeah and so learning about slavery and the plight of afro-descendants black people but then also knowing my own history and being like oh yeah like this is what black people went through in the caribbean but also the garifuna people had a parallel story going on yeah and having something to be proud of course yeah so shout out to mom for really enforcing at least that identity yeah and then it became an anchor because for the first few years in jamaica we weren't supposed to stay in jamaica for as long as we did we were in jamaica for nine years the plan was at least what (laughs) i was told we were supposed to we were supposed to be there for three years and then another two really? years. And then that turned in yes. And then that turned into something indefinite. Mom was like, I don't know. Dad was like, I don't know. And so I was like, Well, I don't know. Yeah. And when you're a teenager, you need certainty. Like in child psychology, like you need certainty. And if there's no certainty at that impressionable age, that does things to you. When I was in f- the first part of sixth form was when dad got the call and he was like, Well, my my daughter just started this thing. Like, can we do an extra year? Because he had that conversation with me. He was like, hey, so we finally know when we're going to move. And I was like, yeah. He was like, but I asked them to wait because you need to finish six form. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> you were happy. Did you yeah. want to leave? Jamaica? I did not like Jamaica. But anyway, that's another conversation. <laughs> I never liked okay. Jamaica. Okay. I like the friends that I made, but I never liked Jamaica. Jamaica was not my place. I did not you like the classism. What? You know what? That's how I felt about Jamaica. I did not like the classism. But anyway. Anyway, um, so being a teenager and that's the time when you're trying to find your identity anyway. Yeah. And then understanding that my cultural identity is very different from the identity of the people in whose country I'm inhabiting. And then Jamaicans, yeah. as you know, are mad proud of their country. Yeah. And so I was very well aware that I'm not one of you. And so the question is, well, who am I? Right. I'm Garifuna because that's all I have. which was exacerbated when I went to college in LA where I hung out with the Latinos 
because mm-hmm. culturally Garifuna are yeah because culturally Garifuna are closer to Latinos than they are African Americans African Americans mm-hmm. and if you're African American and listen to this I say this with love but y'all are different African Americans are a different kind of black they are the cult the yeah. historical context of African Americans is just such that we who grew up in the Caribbean have a different it's just different growing up black in Jamaica where everybody yeah. is black. Yes, there's issues of colorism, but it's different growing up yeah. black in a black country as opposed to growing up black in America in the context of white supremacy and white culture. Yeah, and white Which is supposedly which is supposedly mainstream. Yeah. So when I went to America to live for the first time, I was like, yeah, you y'all are different i don't know there was just a different vibe so i used to hang out with the latinos but they're like yeah but you're black and i'd be like well but i'm garifuna like my people i have family in guatemala and honduras yeah. so i guess i'm afro latina which you know is a what? huge conversation among the guatemalan and honduran yeah. garifunas where they're like am i afro latinx like what does it mean to be afro latinx and in belize we don't have that conversation because we're not black in relation to the dominant hispanic culture right so that? that's not a that, which is yeah which is not so that's not a conversation in belize but that is a conversation among the other garifuna countries mm-hmm. but anyway so i was like well by the time so by the time i got to the states where again i had to explain who i was and what kind of black i was yeah and then moving to trinidad you know right after and now i'm in spain I have never been able to claim a country because I don't claim a country. I spent my high school years in Jamaica, but the Jamaicans around me made it very clear that I'm not Jamaican. And my family also made it clear that I'm not Jamaican. We certainly weren't Trini because Trini is a whole, Trinidad is a whole other beast. And then going home to Belize every summer and Christmas. Yeah, I spent the first few years of my life in Belize, but by the time we would come back, yeah, I'm not Belizean either. You know, we'd be different. And so if I can't claim a country, which I couldn't, what could I claim? And I needed something to claim. And so that's how I came to claim, well, I'm Garifuna. That's that's my identity. That's who I am because I can't claim anything else. And everybody else is claiming something. So if I have to claim something, it will be my cultural heritage. So thank God for that. I think without realizing it, mom really did sow the seeds for that that claiming Garifuna-ness in both of us because I kind of went through the same process just at a later time. You went through the same process at a later time? Yeah. I mean, well, obviously, because I'm a younger sister. But but I remember a period of time where mom, mom was teaching us, or teaching me, I don't know if you were, you were probably there, uh, saying Garifuna Nuguya. I am Garifuna and that was like a repeated phrase for for a period of time and I think subconsciously like consciously I was like okay yeah like you're teaching me another Garifuna phrase because I don't speak Garifuna we don't speak Garifuna but there are little things that we know like yeah. Duna babe I go I go babe right you know <laughs> like small things small things I don't know yeah like hage hage galang galang right keys insert word here i don't know yes 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 <laughs> you know uh, i don't know but you know <laughs> all that yeah, yeah yeah but you know i think at some point i realized like it just clicked for me too like i can't claim anywhere so i'm just gonna claim 
my ethnicity. I'm going to claim my people. I'm going to claim... Because we... Ugh, I just feel so emotional yeah. about it because it's, it just yeah. means so much to us being able to claim something. Yeah. So I feel you. Because, you because in the because Car- in the Caribbean, you know, Caribbean islands love them country. Like the Trinidadians are like, yeah. yeah, Trinidad is the baddest place in the you know in the whole world. <laughs> Trinidadians love them country. Jamaicans love them. Belizeans too. Like everyone's like, yeah, this is where I was born and raised. That's something yeah. I've always registered. Like in each country that I've lived, there are people, many people, who are like, I was born and raised here. And yeah. I've never, ever been able to say I was born and raised because I was I was born in America. Yeah. And even when I was living in Belize, our relatives would be like, yeah, come, American niece, my American niece. Tell me. Da, 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 da. Really? Even though, I had n- even though I had never lived in America, our close relatives would be like, oh, yeah, but you're the American one. So da, 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 da. Oh, but like I never lived in America. And then when I did go to America, I was like, oh, I am not American. And to this day, despite yeah. what my passport says and despite the accent that I have, I am not American. I did not go yeah. to school in America. I don't have an understanding yeah. of whiteness as real Americans do. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, thinking back about mom, she was very, very intentional about instilling our Garifuna identity in the context of the fact that we were expats, we were diplomats in Jamaica yeah. and Trinidad. And that was Our- a very bubbled world where people had money and resources and access and those people acted a certain kind of way and mom was very intentional about no we don't have what they have we don't move like how they move we are garifuna and this is how we do things yeah and she was very very conscious of taking us back to belize every summer and christmas to be rooted she was very intentional about us being rooted in something And so despite what we would hear out in the world in the streets of Jamaica at the time, our house was a very specific way, which was the Garifuna Belizean hub for the Belizean students. Yeah. And I feel like if I have children and I'm living in, I don't know, Singapore or like Timbuktu, I will do the exact (laughs) same thing. I will do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. Mom set the blueprint for real. Maybe in a little extreme way, but now I'm grateful for it because, you know, later on you're going to ask me, like, what does it mean to me to be Garifan and da-da-da-da-da, but knowing my history from a very young age about, like, St. Vincent, because we took, we've made several trips to St. Vincent, the first one being when I was 15. Um, So knowing that history of the Carib Wars and how our people gave the British hell, like, we really made them work. We We made them work to get St. Vincent. Like, it was not an easy battle for them, and that means something. Yeah. Knowing that history and knowing our place in world history gave me an idea of where I sit in the world. Like, it gave me an idea of where I'm... Yeah, about my place in the world. Because when you know what and who you come from, then when you go to white spaces, let's say, and they try to talk down to you, 
they it's can't. not effective because you know yourself yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. which is part of why mom made me study caribbean history because she was like you're gonna go to america one day and they're gonna tell you do 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 and you yes. need to know and by yeah. the time i went to america and they did try to teach me like whatever you know the supremacy of the global north i was like yeah um but y'all are supreme because you raped and pillaged and exploited my people period and so <laughs> exactly and so i was able to come with that knowing and 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 be rooted in that knowing yeah so big up mom <laughs> Un, unshakable strength and our courage. exactly our mother our parents by no means are perfect but they really did try and as i'm older as i get older and as i as i move in spain as a teacher i am so grateful for that rooting for that historical and cultural rooting because this world is going to try to tell you things about yourself. They celebrated yep. Dia de España the other day and they're like, "Yeah, we brought we brought, you know, intelligence and education to the new intelligence and education. You mean you raped and pillaged my people?" Right. You know, so anyway, took, I digress. Took intelligence, took intelligence and pyramids and, and resources from you took, Africa. Exactly. Exactly. But anyway. Come on now. <laughs> anyway, this this podcast is not about that. Anyway. <laughs> Did you always know about Garifuna spirituality? What was that like? Yes and no. Apparently, when I was four, we had a family dugu in Hopkins. I don't recall that it was a dugu. I recall that there was a party on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess it is. <laughs> and because I grew up in Belize City, I didn't know about fireplaces and fire fire hot, right? A fire hearth on the mm-hmm. beach. So I just remember running around with kids. Right. And running, running, running. And all of the kids ran around the fire hearth. They ran around the coals, the hot coals. And I ran over the coals. And I burned my feet. And I think, I mean, I don't have any damage now, so I think it was just a sting. But I just remember running through the crowd and finding mom and be like, my feet. <laughs> like that was not, you know, no, that was not nice. That was not nice. You poor thing. So yeah, no, that was not great. And mom tells that that story now, and she just laughs because she was like, oh, my city child didn't know about country living. Because back in those days, back in those days in Hopkins, every house had a fire heart, every house. And you would just walk down the street and people would be baking over the like the flames. Really cool, really great food. Anyway, did I know about spirituality? Not really, but yes, because there's experiences like that. Uh, Garifuna Mass was a thing. I remember being at Aunt Jude's house for like some kind of some kind of party mass wake thing and someone was possessed mm. and was like falling and people had to fan the woman and i was like what is going on and no one explained to me what was happening i just knew that this woman was not herself and i don't mm. know if aunt judy even remembers that but um but beyond that and i knew that we had a temple called Adabuyaba, but i didn't know the the details and then when I was a teenager, mom went to Sinabe Esti, who is, he's a buye in La Buga. He, she went to him a couple that. times and took us along with her. And I remember going and being like, okay, he's a healer. He's a girlfriend, a healer. Cool. 
he blessed us and he gave us like a bath to do and i was like okay we take baths whatever but it wasn't really something that i sat down to think about until (laughs) until i had my experience until you had your personal experience until i had my personal experience but did our family believe i think mom mom was aware and she she shares her story in her episode yeah um dad our father i think is respectful towards it and he understands that there is that part of our culture but he does not partake but he's yeah. also never obstructed me or our mother in doing the work that we have to do yeah um as for my father's extended family i mean baba roy is baba roy he studied this aspect of our culture yeah his siblings are respectful of it but they're not into it and yeah. my grandmother and my mother's side, she's, she, I can say that she is respectful now, but she also is not, you know, they don't, they don't partake. So yes, I knew about it, but no, I didn't because when it was my turn to have my personal experience, yeah. I was freaked out. I didn't know what was up from down. I was confused. Okay. Okay, so let's get into it then. What was that first experience for you that was like, oh my God, what what is happening right now? I mean, I already know yeah. the story, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to tell that story again. You don't? Do I want to tell that story again? I think it's a great story. I like that story. I, felt, I feel like that right. was when things, things really shifted for our family when you had that first experience. I feel like fam- fam- family-wise, we, we all kind of, it was almost like a wake-up call. It was like, hey, we need to it open our eyes and pay attention. the beginning of the domino effects. Yeah. It's very, well, I don't know. You might not want to tell the story, but I think that it's very important. All right. Well, I will start by saying that I've always been sensitive to energy and as I look back on what school what primary school was like I've always been sensitive to energy and I've always known ooh something just happened here like the adults are not happy or something's about to go down or whatever and I used to have dreams and uh, when we moved to uh, when we moved to Jamaica, like one of my first friends, we used to talk about like deja vu and like having vision. So I remember having those kinds of conversations because she's a very spiritual person in the Christian faith, like traditionally Christian faith. So we used to talk about like, yo, did you like see, you know, did you also have like a deja vu, blah, blah, blah. And there is a specific experience that I'll never forget when I was 17, 18 where I interacted with a classmate and she didn't say what was wrong with her, but I think I patted her shoulder because I could tell that something was wrong. And when I touched her, all of her chaos and confusion entered into me, like syrup filling up my body. And so all of her chaos and confusion entered me and then I went to gymnastics that was after school and I could not move. I could not move. I was incapacitated. Like I tried to do like the first part of the class and then I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't feel good. I can't, I can't. And so I remember just sitting that class out. 
And I'll never forget that because that's when I realized that was sort of the beginning of my thing of not touching people. Oh, wow. Because there are some people that was the very, very, very first time, though, that I touched someone and I was incapacitated. Um, And in 2012, there was the New Year's of 2012 or the New Year's of 2013. We were in Barranco and there was a gathering of spiritual leaders that Harold Zuniga was a part of. And in our episode with him, he talks about that. So I remember going to that and being really curious, like, wow, like spiritual leaders from across the Garifuna Nation are here. Like, cool. This is this is cool. (laughs) And I remember after one of those sessions coming home and just sitting on the couch with our cousin Elisa. And we were just like chilling and chatting because we don't have a TV at our house in Bronco. (laughs) It's very much like it's us and it's us. And we just talk Yeah, and we play music. Yep. Yeah, it's like it's very, very like no technology. And and that was that was before like social media was a real thing. Right. So I remember coming home from that, just hanging out with Elle and then just feeling like there were invisible people that were all looking at me. And I remember just being aware, like there is no one in this house but me and Elisa. But there are people that are looking at me, like looking at me closely, like, hmm. And you know you can feel when people are looking at you, even in real yes. life, when real people are yes. looking at you. Yes, yes, yes. So in 2014 is when things started kicking off. In February 2014, I had the opportunity to apply to study abroad. And I didn't have, I looked at the requirements and I didn't have the GPA for it, really. You needed a 3.0 and I think I had a 2.9. And... um I was washing the dishes. I'll never forget. I was washing the dishes, minding my own business. And a vision came out of nowhere where I saw a map. I saw a map going from like LA going down, 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 down to like South America. And I was like, what is that about? And then I remembered, oh, Brazil, like that program that I really want to go. Anyway, long story short, I applied anyway. And I had a special conversation with the lady in charge. And I was like, yo, I really want to go, even though my GPA is da 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 da. And she was like, okay, cool. I went to Brazil. On the way to Brazil. (laughs) And this is where the story, I've told this story before in our very first episode. On the plane, it's an eight hour flight from Miami to Sao Paulo. And I had the road to myself, thank God, because it's an eight hour flight. So at hour one or hour two, you know, I stretch out to take my little, you know, to curl up and and take my nap. And all of a sudden, there was a party in the plane. There were people doing a conga line. There were streamers. There was a conga line. There weren't drums, but there was, it was like some kind of music was playing on the other side. And they were like, yeah, we are going to Brazil. Woo. And, and, but there was no one on the plane because it was like a split vision. I could see that it was a quiet plane. Most people were sleeping or like on their laptops or watching the in-flight movie. But on the other hand, there were these translucent people conga lining. (laughs) And I was like, nah, this can't, this can't be what? uh, No, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to sleep. That was me. I'm just going to go to sleep because I must, this can't no. So I closed my eyes for a little bit and I like cracked an eye open and the party was still going. And I was like, all right, well, this is okay. (laughs) 
whatever, whatever. I go to sleep, the flight passes. Um, but my time in Brazil was the beginning of everything, which is why I always mention that I have lived in Brazil, even though I was there for six months. Six because months it was while I was... Time to live somewhere. Six months. Six months is very short in the span of a long life. But six months where many things happen, it's just, it was the beginning of everything. Because while I was there, I think part of it too is that when you are in an... Inf- when you are in an unfamiliar space in a country where they don't speak English and I'm still learning Portuguese at that point, your senses, all of your senses are on. And that's when I started hearing things. That's when I started hearing voices where I'd be on the bus and a voice, a very clear voice would say, get off the bus. You're going to meet some people. This happened to me in Rio. So I was like, well, I mean... I got nothing to lose. Let me get off this bus and see what I find. And indeed, I met some really cool old guys. These were like grandpas who were like, oh, you know, venga, venga, con, you know, come and hang out. And I hung out with the guys and it was cool. <laughs> that happened a couple of times. Um, that's where I started seeing spirits because I had the posse. I had that really late class that went from six to nine, I believe. And um, as I was walking, I was aware of, of a posse of people. That's what I could call it. It was like a group. And they were in front of me and they were behind me. Your entourage. And yeah, I had an entourage. And it, I, and, and my, my reaction was, there are people, but there's no one. But they're there. But also, they're protecting me. So I guess, like, all right. <laughs> like, I right, whatever. Like, yeah. I have company because I'm by myself walking, but I'm also not alone. So I right, cool. Yeah. That was my initial reaction. Like, I right, cool. Like, this voice that I'm hearing telling me to do things, it works out. So, okay, cool. Yeah. This posse that I have, they're keeping me company. They're, they're protecting me. So I right, cool. And then I'd be studying. And um, there was a spirit by the door. And at first I was like, there's someone at the door, but there isn't anyone by the door, but there's someone by the door. And it's a man because I could see. And even when I see spirits today, I, I can see the gender. I can see if it's a man or a woman. I can't clearly see faces, but I can see that it's a person. And I can tell by the vibe kind of who it is. And so over time, I was able to recognize this particular spirit by the door. And I was like, OK, cool. Like. You're over there by the door. You stay there and I'll stay here. And I knew enough about Garifuna spirituality to set some water. So I was like, you know, thanks for hanging out. I'm going to leave this water for you. I'm going to leave this like, you know, Brazilian pastry for you. And, um, you know, yeah. What started making me freak out was when I would be around people and know things about them no personal things about them and in those days while i was in brazil i would test it and i'll never forget in october of 2014 i met this guy i was in a group of people traveling and i met this man and i saw information about him and his wife or his ex-wife came and so i was like this can't be real let me ask and so i was like hey pablo like and he was like how could you know that because literally this was a man that I just met like five hours prior and we had not talked about, you know, relationships. Yeah. And he was literally like, he almost dropped his beer and he was like, how could you possibly know? And I was like, oh, never mind. Never mind. Mm. Yeah. So I could, Touched I saw information. There. 
Yeah, yeah. And also while I was in Brazil was when songs started coming in the middle of the night. Mm. And that's when the sleepless night started because when spirit speaks or when spirit used to speak, it would be at two, three in the morning, you know, just when I'm really falling asleep when boom, here's a song. And at the time I didn't mind because, ooh, a song is coming. That's sort of when I was getting into songwriting, which, you know, will lead to the second part of my spiritual journey. But yeah, so by that Christmas, when I came home from Brazil and dad was having his party, as he does in Barranco, when so 10 not. million people was coming to the house, not anymore. It's I was overwhelmed. And I was overwhelmed because I was... Because it was, it was information overload to where it was just chaos. I love mom, but I would never tell her what was really going on with me. Yeah. But it got to the point where... You had to. It was either... I had to. I had to. I had to just so I, I entered her room and I was like, yo, mom, something is wrong. I think I'm going crazy. I don't feel well. I'm hearing voices. And to her credit, she was very calm. She was like, okay, what are the voices saying? Like, you know, what, what, what? And I was like, I don't know at this point. Like, I can't tell just that I'm hearing voices and I'm losing my mind and I'm not okay and I'm not okay. And she was like, okay. So if that happened on a Saturday, by the Tuesday, Wednesday, I was on a boat to La Buga. Because from Barranco to Livingston, Guatemala, it's very easy. There's an hour boat from PG to... Anyway, so she was like, all right, cool, you know. I'm going to send you to Fermin. Mom is so parallel to what was, all the time. Because what, no, well, parallel that. to what was going on with me, Fermin Arzu, who is an Ebu in Livingston, had gone to Trinidad a few months prior. And so, you know, like mom was having her parallel journey. So mom knew Fermin. Fermin is an hour away. So she was like, okay, I'm going to send you to Fermin. And we're just going to, yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> I don't know what mom told dad, but mom told him to give me money like for the boat <laughs> and for the three days yeah, she was just like listen give her a hundred dollars like we're gonna put her on this boat i don't know what she told him but he took us to the lancha to the ferry to the boat and dad pulled me aside and he was like listen whatever this man tells you to do you don't have to do it if you don't want to you know you have free will and i was like yeah of course i have free will but i just i don't know i don't remember how that conversation went i just remember him being like yo you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And I was like, duh. <laughs> I don't know what he was. I don't know what he was thinking, but it wasn't what I was thinking. I was thinking I'm going to go get help. And he was thinking that I'm going to be put through some arduous something, something, something. Oh, oh but snap. I went to Fermin. I went to Fermin. And he let me know that I wasn't crazy. I stayed with him and his wife, Tia Letty. Shout out to Tia Letty. And he did a smoke ceremony on me to, I guess, temper my gifts. He was like, you're gifted. Number one, you're gifted. Number two, you're not crazy. Yeah. And number three, I'm going to do this ritual so that you can, like, finish your school and do what you got to do. And then, and then, you know, take it from there. So that was the, that was the beginning, beginning. Yeah. That was a long-winded beginning, beginning. No, but that was always, that was all the beginning. I have a few questions. Hold on. Or I forget. <laughs> okay, two part question. Do you feel like you resisted? And two, what was it that made you call on me? Those are two unrelated questions, but like I just wanted to get oh, them out man. before I forgot, you know? 
when did I call you? I must have called you in November or October because I was in Brazil from June, July. Because I feel like I feel like I knew before mom knew what was going on. Yes, you did. You You did. You did. Because you told mom that was December, right? That was December when I told her I had called you before. I got to Brazil June, July. I must have called you in October, in October, November. What made me call you? I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember. I just, you and I have always, despite our seven years age difference, I don't know. I trust you. You're like my person. And I couldn't talk to my Christian friends at the time because they, they really would think, because I eventually did talk to some of my Christian friends and they, and they, they did not respond well. Um, I don't know. I trusted you. I just trusted you. And I think I was sinking and I was just grabbing at anything. And I was in a foreign country with no one. I mean, I was staying with a host family and stuff, but I was literally in a foreign country by myself. Who do you call? You call whoever you trust most. And I think when you're sinking, when you feel like you're sinking, the person you turn to is either the person that you trust most in the moment where you literally have nowhere else to turn to. And so I called you and I was like, yo, I'm a witch. I'm, I must be evil. And you were like, nah, you're fine. So it's like, you're good. And, and so that, that, that you held me, you definitely tided me over. I think it was a combination of talking to you and then realizing that these spirits that I was seeing and these things that I was hearing weren't negative. Yeah. Because what I was hearing was ended up for my benefit, like hanging out with the old men. I love having deep yeah. conversations with old people like, yo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and receiving songs in the middle of the night. The only bad thing about that was that I got less sleep, but it was yeah. really cool to be writing songs because yeah. that was when I was first starting to write songs. And the posse, the entourage, and the spirits that I was seeing, they didn't, I didn't get the vibe, I didn't get the energy of negativity or harm. You know, the posse were my protectors. And the spirit that used to hang out by my bedroom door, he was also, he was hanging out. At first, he was very annoying, but after I told him, yo, stay by the door and I'll give you water. Like, after that, you know. Boundaries. So, yeah. yeah. As for whether I resisted... I never it sound like you did. I want I want to say I didn't resist precisely because of what I just said, which is that I never got a negative vibe. Yeah. It was just confusion and knowing that this is not normal. Yeah. Seeing dead people is not no- well in in my understanding at the time, seeing dead people was not normal. Yeah. Receiving songs in the middle of the night was not normal. Hearing voices telling me to do things was not normal. Receiving information about people who you don't know, that's not normal. And then when it came to a head that December with that crowd of people, then I was really like, this can't continue because I'm losing my mind. Yeah. You started avoiding crowds after that. Yes. And so even after hanging out with, with Ebu Fermin and Tialeti that that Christmas New Year's, the rest of my journey was really just marked by confusion of how do I how do I reconcile this with what I think to be true, which is that there's only God and right. Jesus and like spirits aren't supposed to exist. Right. Like this isn't supposed to this isn't supposed to be 
the my main struggle was this isn't supposed to happen but it's happening how do I put it together and then I turned to my Christian friends that January of 2015 I told one friend in particular and she was like well what does Jesus have to say about this this isn't and I was like oh shit well what does Jesus have to say about this I don't think he says anything about this I wish I had this (laughs) podcast at that time because I mean, that's why we it started not, it, right? It was not good. Because we didn't have yeah, 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 yeah. these tools that we're yeah. trying to make for others. And and it's a recurring theme for me in therapy, where in life in general, I struggle between what should be and what is slash how I feel. And when I talk to my therapist about something, she's like, ah, you said should. But what do you feel? And I'm like, ah, don't ask me that question. But usually it's two different answers. What should happen? You should not see spirits. What is happening? I am seeing spirits and they are telling me things to help the people around me. Or they are giving me a song to help me and the world. Yeah. And just... You know, I think my life, my life journey will probably be doing away with what should be mm-hmm. and simply embracing what is, yes. especially if what is, is positive. Why that sound like a title of this podcast? Episode? Probably. <laughs> oh, man, that was beautiful. Probably. Just wrapped up in a bow like that. I love how you did that. Yeah. Anyway, how did you adjust? You know, like when, once you, once you realized you were like, okay, this is what's happening to me. You had seen ferment, you were, you went back to school, you had to finish up, you know, university. What, what did you start implementing in your life that was like, okay, I'm going through these things. This is what, these are the steps that, that will help me in coping or in adjusting. You know, I didn't have steps. (laughs) I you was didn't? feeling around in the dark. Now, okay. I was feeling around in the dark trying to find my way. I did not have steps. Okay. No, but like, now I can point, tell you what the what steps point? are. Okay. Step one, be still and listen. But no, no, I went back to school. You were just winging in it, confusion, weren't you? In confusion. <laughs> I was just winging it. I was, in, I was just in confusion. I was just in confusion. I was just in confusion. You were like, I'm just trying to get this degree out the way. I'm trying to live. I'm, yeah, I was just trying to get out. this degree. And then that summer, I was continuously in confusion because then I had to go to law school, but I didn't want to go to law school. So instead, I took a Euro trip with a friend. And um, then I went to Honduras with a, with an auntie. Then I was in Belize and Barranco in self-exile, just trying to figure myself out. Wow. And then I ended up going to law school in Trinidad. And I ended up in Trinidad what hell what helped i don't i don't know because that 2015 was a year of just strangeness i went to law school in trinidad the following year 2016 i don't know it was okay it was just confusion for the next year or two in that year or two of confusion i would receive songs in the middle of the night and I would hear voices in the middle of the night. But that time around, hearing voices, it was like many people were trying to talk to me all at once. And so my posture was, okay, spirits, y'all are trying to talk to me. I want to hear. 
but you're talking all at once so it's just noise yeah. so it was it was quite a it was quite a while of I want to listen but you're not talking in a way that's intelligible yeah. so mm. um oh the summer 2015 during that like year trip then I went to Honduras and I was in Belize I made a stop in Guatemala and I saw Sinabe Esti by myself mm. and at that point I was angry because I was like these spirit I'm seeing these things I'm hearing these things and it's not making any sense all of this is just, err. And he said, actually, I hadn't told him any of that. I just went for a consultation. And then he said, uh, you have to ask them nicely. You can't be angry with them. You have to ask them nicely. And you can't ask them only one time. It's like, he made an he made a comparison to Jesus and Peter, I think, or he made some biblical reference to like Peter asking Jesus something three times or Jesus asking Peter something three times. And so he was like, just like this Bible person asked three times and more times, you too have to ask the spirits more than once. Nicely. Nicely. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely. I think he said some other things, but that's that was my main takeaway of okay, I have to be patient with them. Mm-hmm. I have to ask them nicely. But yeah, after that, it was just confusion. 2016 <laughs> was when mom was called to head the Barranco Symposium. Oh yeah, um, that's when she- which was a ga- which, right, which was a Domino gathering of, of leaders. <laughs> yeah, which was a gathering of leaders and da 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 da. Um, and I was part of that just because she's my mother and we were dragged along everywhere. Yeah. But that time was seminal because a spirit came and directly gave me a message to leave the boy that I was with, leave the boys that I was with <laughs> at the time. Grandpa, who is an Ahare, grandpa came and was like, yo, you're with this boy and he is not right for you. And then there's this other boy in Trinidad who is also not right for you. You need to drop them like a hot potato. You need to drop them. Yeah. And I was like, mm. <laughs> and and this ancestor was very specific about what I was doing with this boy. With both. <laughs> he was like, ah, yes, you were in the key. You were at the beach the other day and you were doing this, this and that. And my mom was the translator because this message came in Garifuna. So it was, it was so embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. Can you imagine? My jaw is on the floor. What? It was so embarrassing. Because the message came in Garifuna. And so mom and Auntie Andrea, who we just had on the podcast, <laughs> were there translating. And I just wanted to die. Oh. There is no shame in sexuality, but also, like, you don't want your mom knowing all the details of what's going on. <laughs> so, anyway, so Grandpa came, he gave me this message, and the boy, one of the boys in question was with me in Belize, and I had to tell him, like, yo, my ancestor came through and told me that I can't be with you. <laughs> and to his credit, because I'm friends with him to this day, but to his credit, he was like, well, all right. And there's more to that story, but but he was very gracious about it, and we are friends to this day, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I, I don't think most people would be amenable to, you know, like your kind of girlfriend's ancestor yeah. 
walking in on your relationship but i must say that that same ancestor said like you need to leave these guys because there's a nice west indian man who's waiting for you and two months later i met my current partner who is very much a west indian man he's a mix of indian and chinese and just like he is an ethnic mix that can only be produced in the west indies (laughs) but what was the original question did i resist Oh, no. So I didn't resist. But OK, so wait, wait, just let me let me tie it up in a boat. So I met my West Indian man. Love him. But when I met him was also when I was leaning into my gift of sharing the songs that I was receiving in the middle of the night. So that October, which is October of 2016, I went to the Green Market, which is an open air market in Trinidad. And I the universe worked in such a way where I met someone who was like, oh, you sing? Like, okay, come tomorrow to the market and sing your songs. And I was like, dude, you haven't even heard me. And he's like, yeah, but the energy and the you and the we and the universe and ja ja. I was like, yeah, all right, cool. No plan, just vibes. Um, but, but, but in my spirit, something told me like, you need to just step into your gift of music and song because you're receiving these songs in the middle of the night, but they're not just for you. Mm. So I was like, all right, cool. So I went to this market, I sang the songs people loved it and resonated and that's how I met my partner and um that was how I stepped into music and my my mission through music which will be I guess in this next segment okay so what was that like performing those songs for you uh, How did that feel? Because I know... No, I, know I that... would prefer to start with the receiving of the songs, actually. Okay. How were how were your songs received then? No, no, no. How I received the songs. Okay, I understand now because... See what I mean? That's also linked <laughs> to the other question. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so how, did you, how do you receive songs? How does that work for you? Or how did it start? <laughs> and how did it develop? Ooh, that's a juicy question. <laughs> <laughs> I had to understand what I wanted to ask before I asked it. Yes, Ooh, so now it's I so juicy. So that's, that's okay. Okay, so I talked about the beginning of my journey. I started receiving songs. So many things happened in Brazil, one of which was receiving songs in the middle of the night. And I say receiving because sometimes it was me writing a song. Yeah. To express my feelings, and then other times it was me being woken up in the middle of the night, two, three in the morning, with a song being dictated. Like back in the day yeah. at my school, in elementary school in Belize, we used to have dictation where the teacher would say yeah. something and then we would have to write it down. And it was, it was right. like that. A song would be dictated. You used to describe hear, it as a knock in your head. Like a knock mm, on the door in your mind. Mm, nowadays in recent times i can say it's like a knock on the door of my mind but early on in like 2014 when i was in brazil it was you think you're gonna sleep but nah here's this (laughs) here's this melody (laughs) coming that needs to be caught and so i would just get up and pull out my guitar and start strumming and let the song come through so i say receive it because you know it's it's given from the other side (laughs) so so that would happen and I didn't mind because even though it was in the middle of the night, you know, music has always been part of who I am. And so it was like, all right, cool, I have this guitar. I traveled to Brazil with my guitar and part of 
me processing the loneliness that is inherent in moving to a completely different country that speaks a completely different language is loneliness, right? So uh, part of the processing was through songwriting. And throughout my spiritual journey of going to La Buga, going back to school, you know, traveling, it was me and my guitar processing feelings and sometimes receiving songs. So music happens to me, basically, it's either, more or less is either or. It's me processing my feelings because for reasons that I'm still unpacking in therapy, I don't process my feelings in real time. It takes me, it takes me time to realize, oh, I'm sad. Oh, I'm angry. Oh, I don't like this. And so I go into, so I feel a lot of feelings and then it pours out into a song and then I realize, oh, I'm sad. <laughs> oh, I'm angry. It's only until after a song is written that I realize what's going on and, and, and why and what, mm-hmm. what, what. So throughout the journey, yeah, songs were coming and they're bedroom songs because it's me in the middle of the night in my bedroom writing these mm-hmm. things. And yeah. then... And I did a couple open mics in Trinidad. I had done a couple open mics while in that those last few months in LA. And by October of 2016, I can probably find it in my journal at the time. I heard Spirit say, you know, it's time for you to share these songs because they're not just for you. And so I was like, all right, yeah. cool. And so that was my first time playing at the Green Market where I met my partner. And that was cool. That time was cool because it was just me in my body singing and playing and, you know, people at the market receiving. Mm. And then. that f- Yeah, and then. So that <laughs> following year. So after that time at the green market, so finishing out 2016 and all of 2017, I would do these open mics. And this open mic, shout out to True Talk No Lie because that's where I found my feet performing uh you get like 10 minutes so i would perform two songs so in that season i would go to open mic and i would try out new songs on the audience yeah and so i would sing and and i wouldn't leave my body but i wouldn't entirely be there either Mm. who was with you I didn't know at the time um, something would come over me and I could say it was, it was like something, (laughs) I am speechless. Why why can't I say it? So, so let me backtrack. So let me backtrack. After Brazil, when I went back to school, I was going to school in LA in California and I became aware of this woman. I saw her in sort of a vision before falling asleep. And her face was very, I want to say severe, like very old. Yeah. Very young, very young, young, but old. I don't know. Old woman. And I saw her face and I wasn't scared, but I was intimidated. She had that kind of vibe like, mm. yeah. Here I am. Yeah, kind of like a here I am. But she didn't really speak to me. She was just like, here I am. And then she, I don't know. And I guess she receded into the background. At some point, I realized that it was her who was always with me. 
and it was from her that was receiving the songs. And at some point in that season of singing those open mics in Trinidad between 2016 and 2017, I realized that it was her who was stepping into my shoes and me taking not a back seat, but a side seat. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was always aware of where I was. And now now that we've had conversations with with Martha from La Boga and with other people, right? There are people yeah. who, oh, uh -huh, right? They're possessed. Yeah. And some people aren't aware of what happens, like what happens with Sharon Tillett. We just had her on the yeah. podcast. And with Martha, yeah. she's fully aware. So with me, I was fully aware. And I was always hesitant to say that I owe oh, uh -huh, because it didn't feel, you know, I was I was aware. But at the same time, I would go somewhere. Yeah. I would go somewhere and watch. And after, after the performance, I would be knocked out energetically. It would take me days to recover, days of rest to recover. And some of those times, many of those times, I would also be filled with this deep despair and darkness. Mm. And that was what performing was like. Ever since, <laughs> ever since I can say, ever since it's like that. Yeah. What was nice is that as I was aware of the effects that performing was having on me, I would still want to perform. That's the thing. It wasn't such that it made me not want to perform. I just realized, oh yeah, like as I sing and as spirit takes over, I'm also going to feel like this after. What was nice is that my partner who, oh man, our relationship, you know, from the get-go, I told him, yo, I see dead people. <laughs> like, yeah. one of these days, I'm going to have to go back to my village and just, like, do some things for my <laughs> people. And he was like, all right, cool. Like, I've seen things in this world. Like, I understand that yeah. there are powers and da-da-da. So he was all, he's always been cool. Yeah. And so very early on, I told him, hey, like, this is how I feel afterwards. And I just need you to hold my hand, like, touch my arm. You know, let me take yeah. energy. And he has, you know, he let me take his energy. And that really, really, really helped. Yeah. Um, the whiplash. When I met Eric, when I, yeah, so there would be that, I call it a whiplash or a spiritual hangover. And it's just something that I accepted as part of my journey is because, you know, the woman, the woman would give me song and I call her the woman. She has given me her name, but I'm not allowed to share it. Um, but I trust her and she's, she's my person. And I used to wonder if she was an older version of me. I wondered if she was like my higher self, because that was a word that was kind of thrown around in social media. Like, yeah, trust your higher self and, you know, become your highest self. So I wondered, is this woman my highest self? Is she an ancestor? Is she like an older version of me coming back in time to guide me? Like, who is she? Yeah. But in my journey, um, I met with a healer who told me, no, she's, you know, a person. <laughs> she's a person. She ain't you. She's a person. So she was giving me these songs and I wasn't fearful. It was just, this is part of my journey. Uh, my partner was able to help me with those whiplashes. And I just kind of, I was able to plan that after a performance, I'd just be knocked out. I went to different healers. I went to Bouye Mariano one of the Mariana brothers whose name escapes me I met him in Barranco and I told him about what was happening. Cause at some point I got very concerned. Like, is this normal? 
that's a question yeah. that has permeated my my journey like is this normal is it normal to be you know whiplashed after this yeah. i went to mariano i went to i went to erica erica who is going to be part of this series i think she's the next episode i told erica about it and she made a scrub for me to help cleanse whatever i was picking up which really 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 helped but it's something that i've just taken as this is part of it um sericia p who we've who we've also had you know many of my mentors have been on this podcast so sericia petra arana you know when i explained to her what was happening because i was talking to different people to try to understand like what what is going on like what is wrong with me and she explained or she theorized that when i sing and when spirit comes through or when the spirit comes through my consciousness would expand and, you know, go to a higher place. And then when it's over, my consciousness has to, what's the opposite of expand? Yeah, my consciousness has to come back. And that difference between the expansion and the shrinking has an effect on my body. And it's just a matter of giving it time. And when she gave me that explanation, which was around late 2018, it did help because it it it, ga- it gave me an understanding of the process of what could possibly be happening. Yeah. Which is that I'm going somewhere. I'm because I, I do say that I, I go away. So, OK, I go away and then I come back and somewhere in the going and the coming that does something to my physical body. And the remedy now I know is simply rest and not being around people and being held by someone who I trust. So it doesn't necessarily have to be my partner. It could be you. It could, it has to be someone that I trust though. Someone that I trust because energy is energy and it requires touching. And I do want to say that, you know, my spiritual understanding and my experiences are, are constantly evolving as, as I believe they should be, right? How I experience things now isn't as how I did at the very beginning. And I imagine that 20 years from now, it will also be a little different or maybe a lot different. Um, that experience of, of being completely filled with despair and darkness after a performance, lately I've managed to manage it Right, my last performance, my my first live performance really in two years was this past June. And I didn't have an anchor, so to speak, of being able to touch someone after the performance. And so what I did, um, thankfully I was given this private room that I could go in and like collect myself. And intuitively, I guess I should say, I I sat on the floor and I, I sat in a squat position and I put my hands on the ground and I leaned my forehead against the floor and I just I said a prayer of gratitude and thanks and then I think I said you know I release this energy and this whatever chaos is about to come and I give thanks to the earth and I give thanks to the spirit who walks with me and I just I released this energy and I think I was there for like five minutes just being like, I released this energy and, and, and also just feeling the earth and like, now I can say it was grounding, right? I grounded myself because of that expansion and the, the coming shrinking. It 
absolutely helped. Oh my goodness, that is one performance. It was a beautiful performance, but I also remember it because at the end, I didn't have the severe symptoms that I normally would be, and I believe it's because of that grounding that I did. So my understanding of spirituality, the way I visualize it these days is is different. Um, you know, sometimes like when I'm when I'm so full of emotion that I have to process it in a song, it feels like water is welling up inside of me and I have to pour it into the song. And this this idea of water and sacred water is something that's been following me for a while. And so last summer, um, the first summer during the pandemic, I went into the wilderness in northern Spain. I traded work for accommodation at this hostel in the wilderness, literally the wilderness. And and in the evenings and the afternoons, because summer days are really long in Spain, sunset isn't until like 10 o'clock, I spent all of my afternoons and evenings by the river. And the quietude and the stillness and the water, because of course, like water is very significant to me, brought forth all of these river songs and uh, I have I have a project of river songs just waiting to be released, but they're not ready to be released. But while I was there receiving these songs, I also had this clarity where I I understand now. This is my understanding for now, which I'm gonna say can change. But I am a soul, which is my truest self, and I have this body. And the process of having this body and living in this world has ended up with me forgetting my true purpose and simply going along with what the world, the external world says. And the last few years of my spiritual journey has been one of shedding what is not mine and shedding the ideas and beliefs and the purposes that I've picked up from others, most of them, you know, well-meaning. Shedding all of that and returning to my truest self, right, which is my soul. And while I was at the river, I, I visualized like, like when a song is knocking in the door of my mind, it's like there is this well, there is this well within me. And that well, I think, is like where my soul hangs out. And I can go to the well intentionally or the well can call me when I've spent too much time away. And this well is, like the water in the well is the source of everything, right? The divine, God, the universe, Holy Spirit, call it what you want, I don't care. And so like when a song is, so when a song is like, hey, hey, like I wanna be, I wanna come through. It's like, it's like the water from the well is rising as mist and it's calling me and I come and I go to the well and I take the bucket and you know, I do the thing. I've never actually used a real well, but, uh, you know, I, I dip the water, I dip the bucket in the water and the process of writing the song and letting it come through and I guess performing the song too, that effort is mirrored by the effort of pulling the water like a heavy bucket up from a very deep well. And so naturally the muscles if you're not used to this labor your muscles in your body are going to be aching the next day and that's kind of how i see 
songwriting and like what's happening with my body and spirit when like when when music is involved right the the fatigue and the darkness and the despair that I feel I think it's using spirit is using spirit and using my soul and using this sacred energy to make songs while it doesn't feel like physical exertion something is exerted from deep within me and that is what leads to that deep 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 exhaustion and what I call a hangover and yeah I believe uh, yeah that's it so what was the question <laughs> oh how am i how do i receive songs yes so i receive yes. from the woman so so songwriting is processing feelings it's also receiving from her i started yoga at the beginning of 2018 and that's significant because when i got into yoga practice which was really to manage my emotions I quickly discovered that at the end of a yoga practice it does it does what it's supposed to do which is settle my spirit and then I hear things and so I got into this habit of after a yoga practice I have my my journal next to me and she would tell me things she would give me messages right. not for other people but just for myself which was pretty cool and that's when I started thinking more about that's when I heard the message of your mission is healing healing is the mission these songs are for healing and that's when songs about healing specifically came up because there's a difference between the songs that came to me in 2018 and after and the songs at the beginning of my journey the songs at the beginning of my journey were more so about processing feelings and 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 just they were just different they were they were different there were songs about life yeah songs about yeah songs and and they still are about things that we're going through but something about the yoga practice that i began in february of 2018 did a significant shift of receiving more songs specifically about healing and spirit and not in the context of christianity because before then there were more about christianity which i was affiliated with so I forgot to mention right. that during my college years, I was part of a Christian ministry and I'm, I'm so grateful for the time that I was with them. They used to do a thing called listening prayer where we would sit in a circle and like listen for what God has to say. And I was always quite, quite, I don't want to say good at it, that I was, I was quite receptive. Yes, I was quite receptive to, to that. And so so an early understanding of my spirituality was oh this is just like the spiritual aspect of christianity but um and and to an extent it is but i i have since moved on from simply thinking of my spirituality in the sense of just christianity but that's another yeah it's another thing okay okay so we talked about performance we talked about whiplash how you you've adjusted or how you had adjusted and are still what am i saying (laughs) now i have adjusted yeah yeah you've okay at first i used to think it was just her and i've since come to learn that it is both of her and i 
it's a both of us but also it's me it's absolutely yeah. me it is me i used to think it wasn't me and i used to say that it's not me who's singing it's completely her but that's not true and i also wow. discovered in those early days that uh if i sang what i wanted to sing it was quite different from if we went with what she wanted to sing because then she would come through and then the the reaction in the audience is completely different when i went with spirit yeah yeah it was magical because my songs because my songs stir they stir places and people where they're like i wasn't expecting this yeah y'all watching steph perform watching Feroza perform is a magical experience i can say that strongly i can say that confidently not just as her sister, but also as a musician and songwriter, period. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Healing is a mission and feeling our feelings is what I make us do through my music. Yeah. And um, that's important. So many people run away from their emotions and run away from hard, hard things. Truths. Hard truths. Exactly. Hard truths to swallow, hard pills to swallow. About themselves. Exactly. And so your songs shed light and and stir up and bring up things that things that think that need to be faced. Things that need to be things yeah, and things that maybe you should get a warning before (laughs) before realizing, oh, I need to sit with this. Um But the more I performed while I was in Trinidad, the more I realized this is my calling. Feeling my feelings and facilitating others feeling their feelings. Which is how I, you know, came to the understanding that my calling is healing is the mission. Healing myself and healing others. And I went to different healers whenever I would go back to Belize seeking a title because music has always songwriting soul writing as i call it has always been spiritual but i never felt like a gayusa which is the garifuna word for singer because gayusas are in the wba singing songs in garifuna traditional songs that are received in garifuna and i don't i don't speak garifuna so I can't be that. You don't receive songs in Garifuna either. Your songs that right. you receive are in English, which is also interesting. Right. And I wondered if I was an Onagale, but from what I understand and understood, a messenger, an Onagale, receives messages for other people, specifically. And the songs and the messages that I received were for myself or for the world at large and not necessarily for like you know call your cousins best friends like yeah yeah yeah. and so there was a stretch of time there where i was hoping that there was a healer who'd be like yo you are a so-and-so and and a so-and-so um but now (laughs) now i don't give a damn (laughs) i'm a spiritual i'm a spiritual human i am aware of the woman who walks with me and she gives me what she gives me in the way that I can receive it, which is in English. And it is for the world. And punto final. Period. I'm cool with it. So while I was in Trinidad, I was, you know, performing these songs. Uh, I got in touch with the 
people who organized the yoga festival in Belize and I performed there and I performed at the new fire festival in Trinidad and I was I was consciously in this season of receiving these songs and writing them then I moved to Spain but before moving to Spain I spent a year in limbo I guess in Jamaica because our family had moved from Trinidad to Jamaica and I continued receiving yeah (laughs) and I continued receiving more songs and receiving songs became more and more an intense experience because I can be driving or washing dishes or doing something really mundane and repetitive and that's when that's when and I use this phrase now the I get that knock on the door of my mind where she says hey you know without your guitar and I'm like all right cool and the song comes and it's a it's like a catching it's not quite dictation sometimes it's like a catching where I'm like seeing something in the intangible and I just have to bring it and transform it and in recent years in the past two years two three years the word alchemy has has come up again where the songs that I receive, I am alchemizing, I am transforming the darkness within and without and finding light through it. And I mentioned that because, so in that final few months in Jamaica before moving to Spain, it was just time to start recording. It was time. It was time to start recording. Yeah. And so you had been avoiding I, recording for so long. I had been avoiding recording. You yeah. were just writing, yeah. you were just writing and performing. Yes. Yeah, Mostly because no, I wasn't having pleasant experience with the recording process and because people in the industry have an idea of what music for the industry is supposed to sound like and mine is not it. Yeah, I'm currently struggling with that, but I'm <laughs> Anyway, well, you on your journey. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. but I got to the point where I was like, you know what, I could do this myself. So I whipped out my iPad and I used GarageBand and I started putting together a song. I think the first song was "I Am Divine," and that song That's came awesome. just two months after moving to Jamaica at the end of 2018. And the experience of that song coming through was completely mystical. Like, spirit overtook me, and it was Yo, written uh-huh. in 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah, because two songs came through in the space of an hour, and I was explicitly told that this song is for you and it's not for you. And I can say that the end of 2018, when that song came through, is when I was really understanding my spiritual journey, accepting it, and simply just existing in it. And so I am divine. You know, the words are, I am a soul. I have a body. I am divine. There need not be conflict. There need not be pain. We were put here for a purpose, but we forgot along the way. The world, I think, is broken. It wants us to be torn between the life that is expected and the life for which we're born. Important is the soul, the truth of who we are, right? Because I believe that the soul is the truth of who we are. And our body is just a shell for all the lessons that we must learn. We are not our bodies. We are not our pain. We're here for a sacred purpose. What does your soul say? I was listening to Super Soul Sunday and I was like really delving into spirituality in general and not just the Christian confines of it. 
and it's reflected in my in the songs that I was receiving because it's like the woman with me was like yeah this is this is what's up girl like this is what's up and I was like all right cool all right cool so when I started recording that was the very first song that I started producing myself how was that process for you? Learning to record for yourself whilst, whilst, you know, trying to keep the essence of the acoustic, spiritual, mystical, magical, I would even dare say, energy of the song. How did you keep that essence? The process of recording and producing is a process of listening to myself and listening to spirits which is something that was really honed in during the pandemic. Is she is she there with you in the in the studio? Was she like, mm, I don't like Yeah, this. she's right here. Change she's okay. nothing happens without her. Okay, Because so, <laughs> this is one so, thing I, we actually haven't had a conversation about. Oh, yeah. And so I'm genuinely curious. It's as you're talking that I'm like, hmm, okay, wait. I just assume, like, I've always heard about the writing process. I know that songs come through you. but Oh, but not about the recording process. Yeah. Yeah. So when I started, I, I've gotten, I realize now that I've gotten the dates wrong. I started recording that fine. I started recording oh, 2019. between April and June 2019 because I got to Jamaica in 2018. And that year of limbo was between 2018 and 2019. Right. So while I was in limbo, right, I was applying to Spain to teach in Spain and sort of like waiting and I was doing like an online program and blah, blah, blah. So I started recording in Jamaica mid 2019 and I was just recording a bunch of different songs that I had in my arsenal because at that point I had like 200 songs and a lot of stuff in the vault girl. And I was having, and I was just having visions of like, yeah, you're going to create this thing. You're going to create it as you see it because no one else can do what you are envisioning. So I started the process, then I moved to Spain and like moving to a new country is just a whole thing. So I didn't have, I didn't have the space. I had the time, but I didn't really have the space. And that was just like a transition that I needed to allow to happen. When the pandemic hit March, 2020, and I thought we were just going to be locked down for two weeks. That was when I really got to focus on the project. I finished the project that I began the previous year. In the beginning, when I was recording, I was just doing it for fun. I was just feeling for what felt good. I Am Divine came together very quickly because when, when something is spirit-led, you know, like you've seen me work. I put down the guitar, I sing it, I do a scratch recording of the vocals, and then I just start hearing things like, ooh, this is what needs to be done. And like, this is what some chorus, like, let me sing this over and over and over and over and over again. But when I was recording, properly recording during the heights of lockdown, it was consciously a situation of, okay, woman who walks with me, how is this going to go? How does this feel? And if I would if I would put something together, like let's say at a drum section and it didn't feel good in my body and if it didn't make my soul sing, then I knew, ooh, that's not the way we need to go. But if I laid a harmony a certain way or if I did, if it did make my spirit go, ooh, if, you know, I learned to pay attention to my body because I've learned that even if I can't feel something immediately, my body, my body responds in ways that if I'm paying attention, there is a message in how my body responds. 
And I've also learned that in terms of dealing with people. Yeah. If there's like a, mm, no, no, then I know, no. ooh, something, something needs to be investigated. So yeah, she, she was there every step of the way. And the first, even the first single, Tell Me Why, Tell Me Why I Am, that song was a direct message from her, the spirit who walks with me, to me. She sat me down because I, I don't remember what I was doing. I was minding my own business and she sat me down. I felt like a heavy, like, sit down. And she asked me, she was like, tell me why you are running and hiding from yourself. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. And so some songs are direct messages from her to me. Yeah. And then other songs like I Am Divine and Tell Me Why and... What, those the and prayer song prayer song prayer actually song. which was the prayer song which is the third single that was actually uh that was actually me i can say that was me that was me wondering what the heck was going on with the beginning of the pandemic wondering if it was the right choice for me to stay in spain prayer song was me processing my feelings and lifting my hands up to the divine and her helping me lift my hands up to divine to the divine but I Am Divine, the song I Am Divine and the song Tell Me Why, just as, an, as examples, were directly from her to me, to the world. So I've talked about the singles and the album and her piece came together because in the process of listening to myself while creating these songs, and watching the world seemingly burn. The project was already called Inner Peace from the year before. Inner Peace, I-N-N-E-R, Inner Peace. And I had always envisioned that the collection of songs would be songs that led me to Inner Peace. And because of my mentor, Dr. Jaya John, and, and his book, Daughter, Drink This Water, which I highly recommend, he has a passage in his book where he talks about the character being in her piece and that I like that play in words and it coincided with this idea of these songs helping me find inner peace and these songs being me in my piece mm. and that's the intention that's the intention of the album and the collection you know it's it's a collection of medicine songs and the process was me listening to myself healing myself accepting my calling as an alchemy worker of transforming darkness into light finding light on the other side of darkness acknowledging darkness to find lights and using songs as medicine because there are those who make medicine from herbs and plants yeah. and from different things and i make medicine from music and so making that album was me stepping into that calling of medicine making through songs yeah. and so in that way i know that i am a healer and making that album because I had a lot of self-doubt. Like, who am I? Nobody yeah. asked for these songs. Who wants to feel their feelings? Who wants to connect with spirit? Yeah. Am I going to come off as preachy? Like, do, do no. people even want to hear this? What? No. And that's why I had you because I was sending you songs. I was yeah. sending you songs through the process. It felt very artist and our relationship -y. Like, I don't know. Because I'm studying the industry and I'm basically in the industry, at least in Jamaica. I feel like 
I was able to give feedback as your sister, as a musician, as somebody in the industry. And even now, I feel like as I'm learning more, as I'm in it, I can give you tips and tricks and I can I can help you out for the next one even better than I did for the first one. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you were especially instrumental because being alone in my room at the height of lockdown. Yeah. You singing and hearing the songs. Crazy. No, yeah. no, like, no, but like singing and hearing the songs over and over and over again. At some point, it does sound like garbage. It doesn't matter if it's like the, the chorus, the chorus of heaven yeah. coming down. Like it sounds like garbage just because <laughs> I've been listening to it 10 million times. Mm-hmm. And so I learned. I learned, you know, to, to give distance and then to yeah. come back and da 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 da. But I must say that even though that process was me stepping into my calling as a medicine worker musically, I'm also understanding that I will not always make songs like the songs in that album. Yeah. Like that collection in her piece is very intentionally medicine songs for the soul for the world for soothing for healing the projects that i'm that i'm working on the projects that i have in the pipeline will always be for healing but not in the same intention as the first project and i'm still chewing on exactly what that means okay you'll always be feeling your feelings but in a different way than that first project that's just also hand in hand with just life and People change and emotions change and the way that you hear and things people evolve. Change. Yeah, people evolve. I don't want to use the word change, but we evolve. That's what I meant. That's um, oh, okay. I didn't mean like change completely. I'm change, sorry. Like 180. Yeah. I just, you know, like little things, little things change. And that's that's part of evolution. That's to- that's the most normal thing about all of us. If you ask me, <laughs> if yeah, you're not evolution. evolving. Yeah what are you doing? I'm worried about you. Yeah. Are you sick? Are you, it's just like, <laughs> you know, what Master Tatiana says about being stagnant. You know, that's, energy needs to be flowing through you and right. that, that might change and evolve as you grow and as you yeah. grow up and as you continue living your life. How would you say your relationship to tradition is like? Or what is your relationship with tradition? Every time I go home to Belize, I hang out with all of my elders and I ask them a bunch of questions. At this point, when I show up, they're like, okay, what story can I tell you now? Just because they (laughs) expect me. (laughs) Because growing up as an expat's child, I didn't feel rooted. I was always grasping for roots. And I guess I feel that even now. Yeah, floundering, grasping at straws. I admire tradition. I admire tradition. And I want to know as much about it as I can. But also, as someone who grew up in the diaspora, exposed to other cultures, and living my own experience and accepting my own experience, my relationship with tradition is such that I understand that tradition must change and evolve with me tradition is dying tradition is dying simply because society is not as it was but in that death is a new life and 
we are discovering what that new life is, especially with the series. What advice would you give to people struggling with their journey? You know, Breathe. I feel like I feel like we struggled for so long to find our feet. I struggle for so long. I struggle for so long. I didn't tell the story of how I stopped struggling. I don't think. No, how did you? Because I was so conf- I was so confused for the longest while. And it honestly, was it was very simple. I, it was like a one eighty. I went to a Catholic conference. Surprise, surprise! I went to a Catholic conference in Dangriga, mm. in twenty eighteen, actually. And at this Catholic conference, I realized somehow there was a light bulb moment randomly where I was like, oh, there's no need for conflict. Because my main conflict was, you know, how does this fit into traditional Christianity? And at this conference, I don't remember what was said, but I just had a light bulb moment of, oh, there doesn't need to be conflict, which kind of is echoed in my song. (laughs) I am divine. There need not be conflict. There need not be pain. We were put here for a purpose. And if that purpose is divine, then then to heck with the structures that we put around it. Right. You know. So so what do I advise people? Breathe, number one. Do the thing whether it's taking a walk or sitting still or going for a swim or going to the beach. Do the thing that brings you external peace. And sit with yourself and examine, examine what's going on and no, sit with yourself and just understand that the you that you are sitting with is a-okay. And just because that you that comes up when you're still, just because that you is different from what is expected doesn't mean that it's wrong. And that maybe it is your external world that is wrong. Mm. And it says in the Bible, I don't quote the Bible often, but greater is the one in you than the one in the world. And if you're having conflicts with what what is within, maybe it's because you're putting too much value on what the external world says. I would also say to do research, listen to this podcast. Ask your aunties. I was just about to say ask that. Ask your grandparents, Listen you know, ask, ask the people, ask the people around you questions. And if they can't answer your questions, ask them if they know someone who does. Yeah. And something that I learned in my journey is that, you know, back when I was confused, I think even if someone had given me a straight up answer of, yo, you're fine, ma, which many people did. It took me having whatever light bulb moment to really be at peace. It wasn't someone telling me something that made me feel at ease. Something happened within me during my journey that was like, oh, I'm okay. So I would say that even if you get the answer from someone, if that still doesn't bring you calm, it's because you're still on your journey to whatever will bring you calm. I think that. And no one's journey is the same. Yeah. All right. Because there are people who will be like, this is how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to. Like, not know when you owe a and be- No, no. Like, how it happens for you is how it happens for you. And if it's different, then you're going to have to figure it out by feeling around in the dark. But that's completely normal. Yeah, that's okay. I think that in moments of confusion, sometimes you just have to, to let go, let God, and trust that 
you're stronger than you think you are. You can handle situations better than you think you can. And I realized that. Easier said than done. I know, I know. And I, that, that was my, I had that light bulb moment for myself earlier this, I would say early this summer. I was like, whoa. I am stressed and having panic attacks about shit that I can't control. (laughs) But even if I can't control what's happening around me, I can control myself and I can control my own reactions and I can handle whatever that does land on my plate. I can handle it. Because God does not give me more or less than I can handle. Period. Anyway, what makes you a modern day Garifuna? The fact that I receive songs in English. Period. Actually. <laughs> and not in Garifuna. Actually, though. The fact that spirit speaks to me and that the woman who walks with me speaks to me in a, in a way that I can understand and not in the way that is expected. Yeah. The fact that I have lived in a couple countries and I have taken bits and pieces of those countries while being aware of my Garifuna-ness and therefore becoming an amalgamation of all of those things, like this hybrid person. Mm-hmm. More than a couple countries, too. Mm. Yeah. Going to therapy and discovering things, attitudes, feelings that are not mine, but that come from my parents and grandparents and probably their grandparents and their grandparents discovering those things and actively choosing what I will not pass on. Unlearning. 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 And actively choosing not to pass that on should I have children or even to my nieces and nephews mm. being making a conscious decision to do things differently. One of those things being not fearing spirituality. Yeah. Some people have had experiences that make them fear spirituality, and I do not diminish that. That is completely valid. My experience has been one of joy and (laughs) adventure and a lot of healing. And that is what I choose to pass on, and that is how I choose to view spirituality as my relationship with the divine it doesn't have to be this crazy like look you know this ancestor comment she boxed me down and yeah no none of my ancestors have boxed me down they've been you know like stern lovingly stern but yeah what makes me a modern day girlfriend is having this podcast having these supposedly taboo conversations and spreading them with the world (laughs) taboo yeah in quotations Yeah. yeah That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. Is there anything else you want to say that you didn't get a chance to say? I, (laughs) my name is Ferosa. That is my preferred name, but I'm not offended if you call me Stefan or Steph. I am a singer songwriter. I write songs from my soul. I have a beautiful relationship with the woman that walks with me she told me a little bit more about herself a few weeks ago really which was really amazing because i was like wow yeah she fiercely fiercely loves me and protects me (laughs) and as i'm saying it like i'm feeling it yeah 
I wouldn't exactly say she's my friend, but she is someone that I trust and who I can genuinely say that I work with um, in in producing songs. And uh, yeah, we're good. <laughs> we're really good. I can say that we're really good, especially now that I know how to deal with the fatigue that comes after performing. performing. You know, different modern day Garifuna have told us how they are an energy worker, and I guess I am too an energy worker. I alchemize dark emotions to find light on the other side, and I do that through music. My guitar is my medium. I don't necessarily need my guitar, but my guitar is my my main instrument to like hone that energy work. If that makes sense like how in harry potter everyone has magic but you need the wand to like channel that and so yeah my guitar is my my tool to channel that alchemy and i use the word alchemy because that's what was given to me a few years ago and because if you've read paolo Coelho, the alchemist please do read that book is awesome and yeah i'm grateful for this podcast and i'm grateful for the work that i'm doing and despite still having imposter syndrome and feeling like and feeling like I ain't shit, feeling like I'm not that talented, yeah. even despite saying all of those things and having those emotions, when I get quiet, I know that healing is my mission and it is through music and through this podcast. And so which is why despite those surface level feelings, I continue to do what I need to do. I continue to do what is what needs to be done because I don't want to get sick and I don't want to die and I want I chase that feeling of feeling fulfilled, which is the feeling that I feel once I've edited a podcast episode or after I've created a song. So I, I'm still on the journey, but I'm further along on the journey than I was. That's what I have to say. (laughs) I have to say that I am so proud of you. I'm so proud of your journey. I really, ah. really, really want to implore you guys to listen to In Her Peace by Feroza Cayetano. She goes by Feroza on all the streaming platforms. So if you're looking for <laughs> I Am Divine or Prayer Song under Stefan Cayetano, you will not find it. Look for Feroza Cayetano on all streaming yeah, platforms. It's on Spotify, Apple Music. You're going to have a good time. All the places where you find music. Yes. Yes, new music is on the horizon. It's gestating. Oh, something that I, I guess I forgot to mention is that I've done some research into like the spirituality of inspiration mm. and, you know, people across cultures, you know, receive songs in a dream or like they describe inspiration as like a something that they have to catch and hold and then like write it down and such. Um, and so... And so, yeah, people have a muse or, or historically it's been known as like a genius. A genius was known as something outside of yourself that walked with you and not something that was you. Yeah. I chose to view my process of music making and creativity and inspiration. I see it through the lens of Garifuna spirituality, perhaps because I don't know why that is. And maybe I'll figure that out over over time. But Baba Roy used to talk about this process of Ichigahot right where it is taught and he describes it he wrote a poem called drums of my fathers and when he talks about how that poem came about Ichigahot, he you know it came and it just came and it was there <laughs> it arrived and it was a whole poem and that's something that's very 
very common in our culture where many of our songs, many of our healers became healers and many of the songs came because it was just taught. It was taught by the spirits. And I had heard of that from Baba Roy first, which is why when my process of song writing first came about, I was able to say, oh, like, this is like what Baba Roy said. This is what Uncle Roy said. I guess this is like, you know, I'm also receiving songs, just not in Garifuna. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when we spoke to Garifuna Duchess, I finished reading her book. She receives messages in English and Garifuna and she received prayers in English and Garifuna. And I imagine because we are spiritual people, our people, as we continue, will continue to re receive messages from the spirit in the language that they understand. Yeah. And that does not make it any less. I feel very passionately about this, but that does not make it any less. What does it mean to you to be Garifuna? Resilience. Yes. Knowing that I come from a badass group of people who gave the British hell to capture St. Vincent and the Grenadines. St. Vincent and the Grenadines was the last Caribbean island to fall to the British. Why? Because the so-called Black Caribs made them work Daddy for it. People, y'all. We are so strong yes. and so yes. resilient. We've been, through, we've been through things and that resilience and strength lives in my bones and so when i fell to my knees that first week of lockdown when i i think i feel like i was feeling the weight the and the despair of the world because i am a sensitive energetic person and in my low moments in general i think of the women i mean i love the men in my family but i think of the women and the warrior women of my lineage and how their strength from their hardships live in my bones and in my blood. Yeah. And that's what it means to me to be Garifuna. It means family. It means baked bread. Yeah. It means showing up to my auntie's house unannounced and being like, auntie, do you have food? <laughs> and my auntie's like, yes, my niece, because we are Garifuna and I for you and you for me. Yeah. And I will feed you because that's what we do. We love each other through food. Or what do you want? <laughs> I'm going to make it for you if there is no food at the time. Ah, that too. <laughs> being Garifuna means acknowledging the indigenous yeah. and the African. Yeah. It means community. It means community. It means it means everything because it is the roots of my identity. It is absolutely the roots of my identity. And for that, I am grateful. There need not be conflict. There need not be pain. We were put here for a purpose, but we forgot along the way. The world, I think, is broken. Wants us to be torn between a life that is expected and the life for which we are born. Importance is the soul, the truth of who we are. Our body is a shell for all the lessons we must learn. We are not our bodies, we are not our pain. We here for sacred purpose. Soul, what does your soul say? What 
You've been listening to Garfin and Sisters Talk Spirituality with me, Kylie Simone, and my sister, Rosa Cayetano. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can follow us on Instagram at Garfin and Sisters Podcast. And you can email us at garifinassistas at gmail.com. This is an ongoing conversation, so feel free to send us any questions or comments through the Anchor app or dropping us a message through our email or social media. Until next time, Bungyo Goma. Bye for now.